0: this morning we'll be in Genesis chapter 24. Genesis chapter 24. I'm going to talk about the story we have here, a wife for Isaac. Now, all parents worry about who their children might marry, right? We worry about that. I worry about that. My kids are not even close enough close to getting married yet and there's hardly because we know that there's hardly a single decision that they will make in life that will affect their happiness and their holiness and their walk with christ uh, rather than who they marry what other decision can you make in life if you choose to make that covenant that will have more of an effect upon you and abraham was exactly like us in this matter he worried about who isaac his son would marry and now sarah was gone And so he had to worry about whether or not this woman that he married would be a woman of faith. And so Abraham knew he needed to do something for Isaac. And so the story here is about Abraham's faithfulness, his worry about Isaac marrying in the faith, but also about the faithfulness of a servant. So this is not just a love story. This is a tale of faithfulness and trust in the Lord. So I'll begin reading in chapter 24, verse 1. I'm not going to read the entire chapter here. Some of it will summarize, but I'll read Abraham's concern. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? And Abraham said to him, See to it, you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, To your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you. And you shall take a wife from my son there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you'll be free from this oath of mine. "'Only you must not take my son back there.' "'So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham his master "'and swore to him concerning the matter. "'Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, "'taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. "'And he rose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. And "'They made the camels kneel down outside the city "'by the well of water at the time of evening, "'the time when the women go out to draw water. "'And he said, "'O Lord, God of my master Abraham,' Please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, Please let your water down, uh, your jar down, that I may drink, and who shall say, Drink, and I will water your camels, let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebecca who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. All right, let's begin to talk about what we see here in this text and how this might apply to us this morning. The first worry that Abraham has in this passage is the worry that that Isaac will marry outside of the faith. That is Abraham's biggest concern for his son Isaac. The only concern he has bigger than that is that Isaac not go back to their home in order to get a wife. That this is the land that God has promised to them. However, he has not found in the land of Canaan a people who worship God the way that they do, the trust that they have. So he wants for Isaac to have a wife who shares his faith. Parents, we do not have the luxury of arranging marriages for our kids anymore. There, that, that, those days are past here. Now I can't even imagine what would happen in our culture if you tried. In fact, if you try, that will probably be the last person that your son or daughter wind up marrying. But it should be a concern to you, and I'm sure to, that it is, whether you're children or you are someone who is looking for a spouse, that you're a child or that you marry within the faith. And there are biblical and practical reasons for this. One, the Scripture warns us. And this is what was on the heart of Abraham: Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? That's Second Corinthians six fourteen through fifteen. What it means to be unequally yoked is that if you're plowing a field and you've got one really strong ox yoke to a much weaker ox, you might wind up plowing in circles. You want to plow a straight row. You need two animals that are of the same strength and temperament so that you can plow a straight line. And so when Paul says you don't want to be unequally yoked, if you yoke a believer with an unbeliever, what happens is their marriage can wind up going in circles because they don't share the same morality. They don't share the same foundation of faith. They don't share the same love of Christ. They won't understand things the same way. And it will be a constant source of friction within that marriage. That is why Paul warns us to not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. This is not just a matter of yoking in marriage. This applies to all things. If you go into business with someone who does not share your faith, you're going to wind up being cross a lot on how to do business and the morality of it. They may not see fair play the same way you see it. They may not mind bending and breaking the rules the way that you would mind doing such things. You must be aware of being unequally yoked with unbelievers Paul warns us not to do that it will be a constant source of friction in our life and if the most important decision perhaps that you make in your life is marrying someone in fact when you get married you actually don't know how important that decision is (laughs) that doesn't become evident until a little later down the road now I wonder if any of you who are married to people who love the Lord ever have trouble getting to church on Sunday morning I'm talking about people who are married to folks who are believers. I did not hear any confessions, but I know that you do have trouble because I see you come in late. Sometimes you come in late, even when the two of you are together in the sense that you want to come and you know that you ought to be in church, it's still sometimes hard to get here. It is one of the miracles of God that we can all get our kids to school and work on time, but we cannot get our kids and our wives to church on time. I'm not saying this to convict you. I'm trying to say that, well, if you get convicted, that's fine. But if I'm trying to say this because it's a madhouse at your house on Sunday morning. I know a pastor of a local church who sometimes just gets upset and leaves and goes to church. Because nobody wants to get up and get ready. I promised Chris Johnson I wouldn't tell on him like that. But, you know, it's part of our confession time together to talk about it. Yeah, it's it's tough even when you're a believer to do this. If you have someone who doesn't even want to go, imagine how difficult it becomes then. And and not just getting up when you're in town. When you add together the priority of church, when you add together fall ball, if you know what that means, then you know what I'm talking about. You got baseball, softball, soccer, all these things, volleyball, these things competing for your time. You have children, you got band, you got recitals, whatever else we get into, it gets hard to get to church. And if your family is not united to be there, it is going to be almost impossible to do. Next thing you know, it'll be months before you've been here. So it's important to marry someone who's in the faith, who shares your convictions about what it means to serve the Lord. And if you do marry someone who has does not have that conviction, then your difficulties are going to be compounded. It'll be very difficult to stay in the faith. I say this for those of you praying for your children, but also for those of you who are unmarried. I say it for cross sake. Marry someone who's in the faith. If they don't confess the faith, I'm not going to marry you in the first place. You have to go somewhere else. closest I ever came to getting beat up in the ministry was refusing to marry somebody. <laughs> It was bad. But it's, it's kind of a funny story, I could tell you, just very briefly. Basically, a guy comes in and wants to marry this girl. She says, I'm not a Christian, and I don't care. He says he's a believer. I said, I can't do this marriage. Well, they go home. Amy can confirm that this story is true. The daddy of that girl called me mad because I would not marry them because she was an unbeliever. He said, I saw her make a decision when she was six years old. I said, well, buddy. She just told me to her, my face that she is not a Christian and has no interest in being one. I said, what church do you go to? He said, First Baptist Church at Plaquemine. That was the church I happened to pastor, and I did not know who this guy was. I said, really, who's the pastor over there, and what does he have to say about it? He said, well, I can't remember his name. I said, buddy, you're talking to him. Are you kidding me? So then... We had a good talk, and instead of beating me up, he became contrite and said he needed to start coming to church, but I never talked to him or saw him again. Hopefully, hopefully he got right with the Lord. But that's, it's its not, we're not playing around here when we talk about marriage. its you, You've got to get this in your head before you're infatuated and stupid, because that happens. It's funny now, but it's really not funny. It's really not, because... I tell everybody that one of the most difficult and perhaps worthless things I do is premarital counseling because nobody listens to me. And my entire goal and the whole thing is just to tell them stuff so that in two years when everything I said comes true like <laughs> prophecy, they'll come back to talk to me. Abraham was worried about Isaac marrying outside the faith because he knew that, man, think about the life of Abraham. He knew stuff was going to be hard enough as it is. If Isaac didn't have someone who held steadfast to the faith, how could possibly God use him to bring to pass the promises which he had given him? So Abraham was worried, and he was worried about the faith. He was worried about the promises. And so he he gets to his most faithful servant, and I love this guy. His name is never given to us other than servant of Abraham. This guy was in charge of everything Abraham had. Abraham trusted him explicitly. He trusts him to find a good woman for his son, This man loves the Lord, he is a worshiper, he is faithful. I wish everybody in here had a friend like this guy, Abraham's servant. And if you want your children and those around you to understand the value of a Christian marriage and understand faith in God, you've got to live your life like this guy did. How did he do it? His priority was prayer. This guy took a caravan of camels and stuff. I don't even know what all they had. You know it was a caravan, and he goes from Hebron to Nahor. Y'all all know what a difficult journey that is. <laughs> Hebron to Nahor is 550 miles. That's a long way by camel, it's a long way by car. I can't imagine what it's like to this day to try to drive from Hebron to Nahor, but back then, 550 miles, it took that guy about a month just to get there. A month through the desert. And he may not have ever been there before. And he's like, look, Abraham, it's a long way. And that day, 550 miles was like another universe. He's like, look, what if I get there? And they're all like, no, we're not going 550 miles to marry Isaac whom we've never seen. This is not happening. What do I do? Should I come back and get Isaac and take him there so that maybe he can find a wife? And Abraham's like, no. If the woman won't come with you, you'll be... Freed from this, but the Lord will go. And so finally, this guy shows up in Nahor. He knows this is about where Abraham's people are from. And he starts praying. He don't know what else to do. I mean, this is not like he's got some app where he can swipe for the single people of Nahor. He's standing by a well, which is where everybody goes. And he's like, Lord, help. I don't know what to do. Let the first girl that shows up and I ask for a drink of water and says, Let me draw water for you and also for your camels. Let her be the one. Now, that was pretty wise. You may not understand that because not many of you own camels. A camel, I looked this up. This is amazing. So, a thirsty camel, you ready for this? A thirsty camel can drink 53 gallons of water in three minutes. 53 gallons, one camel. A gallon of water weighs eight pounds. So to feed one thirsty camel water, you do eight times fifty-three. Eight pounds times fifty-three. She's she's pulling about four hundred something pounds of water for one camel. And this woman's going to be volunteering to water a caravan. Now that's wise because I'm going to tell you what. If you walk up and you're looking for your buddy a wife and you say, Hey, will you draw uh, four tons of water for me? And they say, Sure, without asking actually. You say, Could I have some water? And say, Yeah, I'll draw four tons for you camels too. That one's a keeper. That was his thought. She's going to draw 424 pounds of water for one camel? And, not, and the whole caravan? I think that would be a good one. So here she comes. She's got her jar of water. Before he even finishes praying, she, she shows up. It's very interesting. In the book of Genesis, everybody's always meeting by wells of water. Have you noticed that? we got... Here, Rebecca meets him at the well. Jacob meets Rachel at the well. You remember Moses meets Zipporah at the well. In fact, all of our Old Testament studies guys in seminary that were uh, single, we all hung out by the water fountain just hoping the girls would wander up. <laughs> Seemed to be biblical at the time. <laughs> anyway, I don't know why. This is like where everybody gathers up and meets. It's the tender of whatever B.C. this is. Yeah, so this woman shows up. As an answer to his prayer. And we need to learn from this guy's faithfulness. Not only is the first thing that he does when he gets there, he prays. Lord, help me be successful in this. Lord, help Abraham. You have promised him all these things from the promised land. But if you don't deliver him, a, a wife right here, we are in big trouble. And before he even finishes, this girl walks in and he goes, okay, I'm going to ask her. And she says, oh, sure, I'll water you and I'll draw water for all your camels. And he's like, Yes. Oh, he's excited. And then, so she draws the water for him. I'm just summarizing, so I don't have to read you all 24. She draws that, and he gives her gifts of gold. He gives her an earring. He gives her a nose ring. It was a big deal back in those days. So he gives her a bunch of stuff, and he's like, who's your, who's your family? Yep, and this is really exciting. He goes, oh, well, I'm this, the son of Nahor. And he's like, that's my master's brother. This is great. Take me immediately to your house. Can we stay there? And she's like, yes, you can stay there. And we've got room for the camels and everything. So off he goes, and this is a second moment of faithfulness. He comes in, and we'll learn later as we go through Genesis. Her brother Laban, it says here specifically in the text, when he saw the gold that Abraham's servant had given her, he was like, yeah, tell him to come on in. Laban is excited about stuff. And he wanting to whine and dine. This guy says, come in, wash your feet, have a seat. You got lots of gold, a big caravan. This is great. We're going to take care of everything. What does the guy say? You probably remember from reading ahead, so you'll be ready for the sermon today. What he says is, I am not going to eat a bite of food until I talk about the business I've come here to do. Not interested in sitting. Now listen, this guy had just gone through the desert for 30 days on a camel. Got there, got himself a drink of water. I know he was sick of that. But he was like, look. I'm not going to sit down, I'm not washing my feet, I'm not doing a thing until I conduct the business that my Lord has sent me here to do. He says, "I've come here to get a wife for Isaac. My master Abraham has been prospered in everything that he's done. I prayed God, let the first person I see who waters me and then volunteers to water my camels, that that be the one that the Lord has chosen. And Rebecca did that. Now let me have Rebecca to be Isaac's husband, I mean wife, and we'll be out of here. And Laban was like, okay, what do you want to do, right? Or Rebecca, and she says, well, it's the Lord. What can I say? So two things. First, Rebecca demonstrated she was a hard worker. And second, she demonstrated she was faithful to the call of God. And even after they had eaten and they sit down, uh, they sit down to eat and rest, they say, the, the servant says, look, we'll eat. We'll stay here tonight. Tomorrow we're getting up. We're going back we got a long way to go. It's 550 miles a month by camels. We're going to refresh ourselves tonight, and in the morning we'll get up and go. And Laban says, oh, no, let's let my sister stay here a little while so everybody can say bye. Tried to delay him, but he wasn't. He wasn't going to be delayed. He said, let her make the decision. So first, let's just learn from this guy's example. The example of this, whatever you are entrusted with. This is what Abraham was entrusted with, a promise that would be a blessing to all nations. He wanted to ensure that it stayed faithful through the line of Isaac. This servant was entrusted to find for himself a wife. When you're entrusted with a responsibility, first, you need to be prayerful about it. And second, you need to fulfill your obligation and don't put it off. So are you called here to teach kids? You say, I don't know if I was called, I was volunteered. In the beauty of the Baptist world, being called and volunteering is the same thing. If you said, yes, I will teach this class, yes, I will keep this Sunday school, yes, I will do these things, and you need to do it. Serve as the Lord. Serve as this servant Serve. Pray about it. Prepare for it and be there. And if you can't be there, please let somebody know. Faithful in all things. Don't turn to the right or left. Do not get distracted by things that might even be nice, like a day or three of rest. This guy just got off a dusty camel ride for a month. We are not asking anyone to do that at this time, although there may be opportunities in the future. Whatever your job is, whether it's here or outside the church, pray about it and do that job. you got a ministry here in the church, pray about it and do it. you got a job, pray about it and do your job. Stick to the task, be focused, make sure your employer gets their money's worth. That's what this servant did. Put effort into your ministry and your job. Do it seriously so people can see the difference between someone who walks in the light and someone who walks in the darkness. And by the way, if we want our children now, since we can't arrange their marriages, to marry inside the faith and make your home such a place of faith where that is the only place they would want to marry anyway, work on it. One way to have a happy marriage modeled before your children is to say, I'm sorry, I'm wrong a lot. That's not how the world works. Humility and love, tenderness, kindness, long-suffering, patience. This is how we model for our children. And as she's going to go, they give her a prophetic blessing. It's all the way down in chapter 24, verse 60. And they blessed Rebecca and said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gates of those who hate him. This word here, offspring, is the exact same word we've been following throughout the rest of Genesis. Whenever the Lord told to Eve and to Satan that her seed will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. This is the same word. Offspring, it's translated here. It's the same word, seed. Some translations in Genesis 3.15 say offspring. What they may not be aware of here that we are aware of now is that they're talking about Jesus As Sarah was going to be the mother of the child of promise, so now Rebekah will be the mother of the child of promise. The promise is passing from Abraham to Isaac. The promise is passing from Sarah to Rebekah. The blessing for Rebekah is that her offspring might become thousands of ten thousands. What is the promise that Abraham himself has received? that his children will be more numerous than the stars of the sky and more numerous than the sands on the seashore. And here we see that prophecy emphasized once again that Rebekah's children will become thousands of ten thousands. Because, listen to this, it's not just Abraham's promise. He's become one flesh with Sarah and therefore it is her promise. He has become the father of many. She has become the princess of nations. Isaac will be the inheritor of the promise also that his offspring will be like the stars of the sky and the sands of the sea, but also that Rebekah's children will become thousands of ten thousands. And this is why the marriage union was so important. Isn't this why when the Bible says that we're not so opposed to divorces because that God is looking for godly offspring? This is what he was looking for with Rebecca and Sarah as well. A faithful home that would bring forth for the world blessings. Ultimately, this would result in the blessing of the Messiah who, it says here, may your offspring, may your seed possess the gate of those who hate him. We know that ultimately in Jesus that he will assault the gate of those who hate him. And that he will not be denied. In fact, Jesus said that the gates of hell would not prevail against us. And as I remind people over and over and over again, we always talk about being attacked by the devil. I'm under attack by the devil. (laughs) That's not the biblical way. We're supposed to attack the devil. Gates are defensive structures. And when the Bible says that the gates of hell will not prevail against us, that means that we're after hell. It's not after us. And that the gates of hell will not prevail against us. We are going against the kingdom of Satan to break down strongholds and to pull them down stone by stone for what reason that people might be rescued. Jesus himself will conquer sin and death and hell. The offspring of Rebekah. we as his children, we are also children of the promise. We're not Jesus. But we are children of the promise. We are to be salt and light to the world. We are to be a blessing to the nations. We are to be those who are descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Of Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel and Leah. This is our family. And this is our call. And these promises are for us. And we are supposed to live by faith like they did. Jesus, you may think, wow, look, Abraham was a long time ago. Look at all the stuff that he could do. What can we do now here? The world's going to end any day now, right? Who knows? Jesus said the last will be first. Now, I don't know exactly what he means by that. But I know this. It don't take us a month and a half or a month by camel to get from Hebron to Nahor. You can fire off something on social media and be heard halfway around the world in two seconds. Your conduct and your life and how you behave will not only affect your local community now but others around the world. I just read recently, as recently as yesterday, one missionary, one missionary in Uganda had a racist diatribe inside a hotel room. And now every single missionary who goes to Uganda is going to have to deal with that because everybody in the world saw it on Twitter. You either can be a great blessing today or you can be a great hindrance to the gospel in such a way that Abraham never imagined. So we are called as his children to carry on the family legacy of faithfulness. This is the call. And so we are concerned about things of importance like Abraham is. What about my children? How will they be? What about my life? How will I live? What will become of us? Will I be faithful with the things I've been entrusted to or not? How will you live? Will you do as the world does or will you do as Christ calls us to do? I was teaching today in Sunday school in 4th through 6th grade. We were looking at Philippians chapter 1 verses 12 through 20. Paul is writing from jail. He says that we have been called not only to rejoice in Him, but it has been given to us to suffer with Him also. Suffer for righteousness' sake. Work for Christ's sake. It is easy to hear the call to love one another as Christ has loved us. And then it's altogether a different thing to actually put that love into practice. It means sacrifice of your time, It means living by faith. It means forgiving. It's easy to talk about forgiving too, isn't it? Have you ever actually had to forgive somebody? How hard was that? Forgiveness is hard. I'm talking about real forgiveness where you say, I will absorb. I will absorb the wickedness that you've done to me without recompense or repayment. And I will act as if it has not happened. That's tough. Even when people say they're sorry. This is what we're called to be. And if we will be this type of people, those who have inherited the promises of our ancestors who've gone on to heaven before us, who, like a great cloud of witnesses, are watching us to this day. Then I say with all my heart, May your tribe increase. May your children be thousands of ten thousands, because the world really, really needs peacekeepers today. The world really needs the children of Abraham to be the people of God that he has called us out to be. We have so many responsibilities, so many things to be doing in so little time. Brothers and sisters, our lives are a vapor. We are grass that withers. We are called not to live for ourselves, but the Christ who died for us. This is how Abraham lived his life. This is how Isaac will live his life. Jacob will live his life. Of course, none of them are perfect, and that's the whole point of putting them in there so that we'll know when we fail, we too can continue to be children of the promise. The promise seed came through a believing home. You hear me? The promise seed came through a believing home. Pray this blessing for your children. Live in such a way that they would desire to have such a union. Pray for the single people in our church that if they don't ever wish to get married, that's fine. Paul said that's the more excellent way. They will be able to live life in such a way that their lives will be shining beacons for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let us live together in such a way and love one another in such a way and pray for our children. Even if you don't have children here, you can pray for the children here. You can pray for my children that we will be salt and light to this world. Do you not think that it's imperative that now we work? That the world is full of darkness and the gospel of Christ is the only hope and how we live at work and how we live at home is going to have an impact in this world. This world is broken and undone and it needs Jesus. And if God Almighty doesn't come in with the power of the Holy Spirit, we are undone and lost. So pray and work and be faithful. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we live in an age of so many distractions, of so many wonderful things. The teaching on marriage in our culture is abysmal. We break faith with you. We break covenant. How to raise our children is abysmal. How to teach and how to take things seriously is terrible. And Lord, if you don't come with your serious power in the the heaviness of the glory of God, then we will never break through the shallow thoughts that surround even ourselves and our whole culture. So we pray that your conviction will come with power, that you will come like a mighty rushing wind that will shake the foundations of the world to show people that Jesus is Lord and the only hope for the lostness that people feel. God, help us to be faithful as Abraham's servant was faithful to do the tasks that we are appointed to do. Lord, I pray that we will not turn to the right or to the left, but will accomplish the mission for which you have sent us to do. And in everyone in here, that's different. I pray that we will be engaged in your kingdom and that we will walk side by side, advancing the kingdom of Christ wherever we go, as true inheritors of the promises given to our father Abraham. Lord, be with us and help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you'll stand, we're going to sing. If you do not know Christ this morning, call out to Him and He will save you. If you do know Christ and you still need saving, call out to Him and He will do it. As we sing, this is our opportunity to think about the things which we have heard.